0: Welcome to the Wealthsteading Podcast. This is episode 426. Today is September 8th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, as we get into the final month of the third quarter and we get closer to the end of the year, we're seeing some jitters in the stock market starting to reemerge. There's likely some seasonality to what we're seeing because in a lot of ways, the performance this summer Is a very similar reflection of what we saw last year we had a peak in august last year this year it looks like the peak was at the very end of july since then the market's been very sketchy we'll briefly talk about that today in this episode i also want to cover the bigger picture and emphasize that high interest rates and federal reserve rate hikes are neither the sole problem to this market nor will lowering these high interest rates a likely solution to the underlying problems and as i talk about interest rates we're going to get down in the weeds i'm going to give you an example specifically about the housing market what's going on with mortgage rates and how in my opinion it's masking a much bigger problem okay before we get to all that let's just start with a market review just real quick as i look at the charts and specifically focusing on the price volume action on all the major indices unless there's a big appetite for coming in and buying the dip, I personally think things are going lower. I say that because I think the price and volume action are extremely weak across the board. Yeah, you have a handful of maybe six to a dozen stocks that get a lot of attention. A lot of that enthusiasm is starting to wane for the artificial intelligence stocks and really... All that money's poured into NVIDIA. That's done extremely well. But there's been a backing off from many of the other high-tech stocks. And about the only other enthusiasm that I do see creeping into the market right now is all about the couple of pharmaceutical companies which are profiting from the weight loss drugs. But all the other narratives about why you should be pouring your money into the market have faded. And if you think about earlier this year, all the enthusiasm about the reopening of China, and then the movement into Japanese stocks, and the reoccurring theme that we've heard for several years now about how emerging markets are going to outperform. Well, none of that's really panning out. You've heard me talk in previous episodes about how really the global economy is a mess, and the U.S. economy, North America in general, is really about the only investable economy outside of maybe one or two others like India. But the investment and the media narrative ignores these larger global problems and they keep focusing on how we're going to have a rebound in the stock market because just around the corner, we're going to see some relief on interest rates and that's going to solve all the problems and drive stocks higher. I'm digressing here. Let's not get into interest rates yet. Let's focus on S&P 500 for right now. It peaked in January of 2022. That's a long time ago. And from January of 2022... All the way up until October of 2022, you had a defined downturn where the market was putting in a series of lower highs, lower lows, and just multiple failed breakout counter trend rallies. I wasn't worried through much of that other than when the war in Ukraine really started to drag on. But a lot of the narrative was around the higher interest rates and specifically the inverted yield curve was just going to throw the economy into a recession. Well, I don't deny the reliability of the yield curve to predict a recession. However, it takes a long time generally for monetary policy to have an impact. And so that's why last year I was very skeptical that the country would fall into a recession. This year, however, I have been much more concerned, and I thought we would have seen a recession by, say, March or April of this year. But the jobs market combined with the overall very large amount of money that the pandemic stimulus provided, that money didn't leave the system yet. It's provided enough of a cushion, along with the strong job market, to really increase consumer spending and consumer consumption, especially around the services sector. But in spite of that, Again, I continue to be more and more concerned because we are now 16 months of seeing leading economic indicators deteriorate. We've never seen that prolonged, consistent deterioration of leading economic indicators without being in a recession. Now, perhaps we will dodge the bullet. I've never been in the camp. that's going to be an absolute economic crisis. But I have thought and still continue to think, that a recession is likely, and I'm more in that thought process now than I was before, because for the most part, the media narrative now believes that we're not even going to have a soft landing, but analysts like the people at Goldman Sachs have reduced the possibility of a recession down to only 15%. Well, based on that canoe theory of investing... With most people leaning over towards the side of the canoe where there's not going to be a recession, it leads me to believe that we probably are more likely to have a recession. So I don't think we're all clear on not having a recession or not having a soft landing or some type of at least a mild pullback in the economy, which would translate to the stock market. And we, incidentally, are already having that recession and the pullback in the economy, as I said, for 16 straight months We've seen leading economic indicators deteriorate. It just hasn't materialized in the stock market. And generally, and you even think back to something like 2008 or the dot-com bubble, it isn't just irregularities and slowdown in the U.S. economy that ultimately causes the recession or specifically causes the avalanche and a drop in prices in the stock market. It's some type of other ancillary event, whether it's indeed a black swan event Just some type of failure within the system, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the U.S. Earlier this year in March, when everybody was panicked about a banking crisis, that didn't bother me at all because I do think that our banks are very stable. I think if we're going to see a banking or some type of a currency crisis, it's going to be coming from overseas rather than the U.S. And with the slowdown and the general decline in the global economy, don't underestimate the impact. That global events have on the US economy. It was just back in 2015 2016 where China had a slowdown and that caused a major meltdown in the commodity sector. And if you remember back in mid 2015 and early 2016, the major indices had major double bottom market corrections. And that was just a mild slowdown in China. If we end up with something like a major currency crisis in Asia, like we saw in the 1990s, that I think could be a catalyst for a major deterioration in our markets. But again, these are black swan events. We can't predict them. We don't know what they are. We don't know when they will come. And that's why when they do, they create so much turmoil and volatility in the markets. So I don't want to emphasize that factor. I just want to look at the here and now. And the rally that we've seen this year in the S&P 500 and the, and the other indices, it's been a very rocky road. There was a rally leading up to the beginning of the year. I think a lot of that had to do with the buy-the-dip mentality that came in at the end of last year. Again, when I thought there was some, a lot of unnecessary panic based on the interest rates. And then with the enthusiasm about the reopening of China coming out of their draconian COVID lockdowns. That brought the markets up in the early part of the year. But that quickly evaporated when the banking crisis set in in mid-March. And because that was a nothing burger, it prompted a counter-trend rally at the same time that all the enthusiasm and I think a lot of irrational exuberance was built in to the AI enthusiasm, which drove the tech stocks and the overall market higher through the entire summer. But even with all that movement in the market, it took us until about June or July of this year To just get back to the previous high that we had last summer in August, which was still about 10% from the all-time high back in the beginning of 2022. But ultimately, all that petered out, and it failed almost exactly at the key resistance level of what would be considered the shoulders and the head and shoulder pattern from the high that we had back in January 2022. Those shoulder peaks occurred all the way back from August of 2021 was the port side of the peak and March of 2022 was the starboard side of the peak. Well, our highs this summer got up just a little bit above those levels and then fell apart for pretty much three straight weeks in August. The markets all went down. The S&P 500 dropped below its 50-day moving average At the end of August, there was a brief rally. For a few days, the S&P 500 was above its 50-day moving average, and it's currently back down below those levels now. Although we've seen a relief rally, there's been no corresponding large increase in volumes to come in with large appetites to buy those dips. Just to give you an example, and I know we're getting really down in the weeds here, but I think it's important to understand this. The summer rally last year, went from a low in June to a peak in August. And when the market had bottomed in mid-June of 2022, the weekly volume that occurred on that bottom has only been exceeded once since then. And that was during the bottom that we saw coming out of the banking crisis that occurred you know, back in March. But if you look at this counter-trend rally that we've had this summer, there's been no single week that's had anywhere near the volume that we saw in purchases last summer. So I just don't see the appetite of the dip buyers being here this year like they did last year. And in fact, when we saw this little bit of a recovery that occurred in the last week of August, the dip buying that week was more than 30% weaker than what we'd seen last year. And this is not just about the S&P 500. It's across the board. The Dow has consistently been below its 50-day moving average since August You know, it did briefly for a few days get above that, but it fell back down. The high-flying NASDAQ is again below its 50-day moving average. And the small caps are just a disaster. If you look at the Russell 2000, it's not only significantly below the 50-day moving average, but it's just barely hovering above the convergence of the 100- and 200-day moving average. The small cap stocks are often the canary in the coal mine early warning system, And since January of 2022, when the markets broke down, the small caps for only brief periods of time have broken out above their 50-day moving average. And during all that time, it's only been a handful of months that the small caps have even been able to break out on two events above their 200-day moving average. So this is both good news and bad news. The bad news is that if the small caps can't hold at this long support level at the 200-day moving average, then a lot of bad things could be in store, and I wouldn't at all be surprised to see us go all the way down and retest those lows that we put in back in October of last year. And that's a long way from where we are right now. The good news is, is that if this support, which has built a long base, and arguably, you can say, goes all the way back to maybe May of 2022, So a solid 15 months or so of base building, once the trend does reverse and breaks out, I think you'll see these smaller and mid-cap companies which have much better price-to-earnings ratios and, in a lot of cases, more favorable long-term growth prospects, I think you'll see them significantly break out. And therein lies my optimism. Because the rally that we've seen in these, you know, dozen or so stocks, these big name tech stocks with very high valuations and with the exception of NVIDIA and a couple others, really not a lot of growth prospects when compared to the price you're paying to own the stocks. That's not what you're seeing in the mid and small cap stocks. And there are literally thousands of them that are trading at a very reasonable price per earnings ratio. So when we do get a sustained breakout, I think there's plenty of opportunity to jump back into the market. And for now, that's why I've been extremely, extremely, extremely patient sitting in money market funds. Because for now, I just don't see that risk-reward ratio being more favorable than earning more than 5% sitting in a money market fund that has absolutely no market exposure or downtrend possibility based on either market volatility, or interest rate volatility. Ah, I digress, and I went a lot longer in this segment than I planned. Let me quickly get to the point that I wanted to make about interest rates. Higher interest rates are not solving the problem that's plaguing the economy, not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy. And the problem is lack of supply. Now, we have lack of supply for a number of reasons. The overstimulus that occurred When the pump was primed too much during the pandemic, the realization that we've reached peak globalization and that things like just-in-time delivery, although they sound good on paper, whenever there's any type of a crisis or a hiccup, you can't guarantee your supply. And so that means that you have to put in additional safeguards of either warehousing or of manufacturing either closer to your market or with less fragility and moving continents apart to manufacture the whole supply chain and those safeguards whether it's a matter of warehousing or reducing the complexity of the global supply chain they all come with a cost they all cost more money and then you throw into that the insecurities that we're seeing from geopolitical issues with threats of China expanding and possibly invading Taiwan or with Russia invasion of Ukraine and because of that And whether you look at it as a cold war or a hot war, or just geopolitical instability, no matter how you slice it, countries have come to the realization that they have to better secure their supply chains because they can't necessarily rely on their trading partners when they have political issues, and that moves both ways. I'm not picking sides here or making value judgments one way or the other. I'm simply stating the reality is that it's going to cost countries more for defense and security and for securing their supply chains just because of geopolitical issues, not even looking at the factor of the peaking of globalization. And then you have the worker shortage because of the overall demographics of a global declining population, and that's in developed as well as underdeveloped countries. And then you add into that the extra spending that occurs with the energy transition. And the bottom line is that in every way, it adds up to higher cost. Higher cost means higher inflation, whether that inflation is derived from irresponsible fiscal or monetary policy. You know, that just adds to the problem. But either way, even if you had reasonable fiscal and monetary policy, we still, as a global economy have so many problems of unstable supply systems that we almost guaranteed have years of higher prices and just pure price inflation that's facing us. And again, that's even if you had reasonable monetary and fiscal policies, which no country does. So when you combine inflation that you'll see from printing money and from government stimulus, and you combine that with the extra and additional costs that no country or no economy was planning for because of all these other geopolitical and demographic and structural shifts to the economy. And it all adds up to higher cost. So when you hear the media promoting the narrative that we're just going to simply fix the problem by lowering interest rates, my math doesn't get us there. Yeah, you know, I digress again here real quick. Look at mortgage rates. We're now at about 7.3% for a national 30-year mortgage. And so even though housing prices have come down from a year ago, the actual cost to purchase a home, if you have a mortgage, has gone up about 3%. So that's where the government and Federal Reserve statistics about inflation come out, where they're saying, well, you know, headline inflation is only running about 3%. Well, that's because even though home prices have come down slightly, the cost of purchasing a home with a mortgage has gone up by about 3 or so percent because interest rates are significantly higher this year than they were last year. But what's not changing and what's not changing in terms of the price of a home or the price of funding it with a mortgage is that prices have gone through the roof and they're just not going to come back down. The cost of purchasing a home with a mortgage today Compared with pre pandemic. So if you go back to this time of year in 2019, the average price of a home, with interest rates being about 3.7 or so percent back in September of 2019, back then, the average monthly mortgage payment that was initiated in September of 2019, when the average home price was around $318,000, the cost to fund that mortgage was about a month. Today, the average price of the home costs about $416,000. And to fund that mortgage at 7.3%, you're talking about a monthly payment of about $2,853. That's an actual cost increase over the past four years of almost 94%. Yeah, you heard me right. 94%. It's almost 100% more expensive, meaning it costs you almost two times as much to fund a mortgage today compared to what it cost you four years ago. And that's not just because of high interest rates. You have both high interest rates and high housing costs. And the only reason that housing costs aren't even higher, and I'm talking housing costs in terms of the material to build a house and the labor to build the house, so the drywall and the shingles and the cement and the contractors and all the workers, the price of all that would be even higher if interest rates weren't as high as they are. Because right now, the majority of purchases are with cash. It's people that don't need the mortgage because they're the ones that can afford to buy the houses. If rates were lower and you had more people that could afford to fund the mortgage, then you'd have an even greater demand which would push up the price of existing houses, and it would cause the building materials for newer houses that are going to be constructed, it would cause that to go up even more. So the reason that we're seeing a decrease in material costs like lumber or copper or cement, it's not because there isn't demand for housing. It's because interest rates are so high that most people can't afford to buy. So the demand is being squelched by the higher interest rates, which is keeping inflation lower. But the minute you lower the interest rates because the demand is so high, the material costs are going to shoot right back up again. So no matter how you slice it, whether it's higher material costs or whether it's higher interest rates to counter those higher material costs, the cost of lodging has gone up by a factor of two. And nothing's going to change that because we have a supply problem. We don't have enough materials. We don't have enough workers. There are too many bottlenecks in the global manufacturing system, and that's not going to get resolved next month, next year, the year after that. Now, again, I'm not being negative here. I'm pointing out opportunities as well as obstacles. But the bottom line is that it's not going to get fixed with interest rates. It's not going to get fixed by raising them higher. It's not going to get fixed by reducing them and moving them lower. As I've said many, many times over the last year or more, the Federal Reserve can't pump oil And it can't grow cotton, soybeans, or wheat. We don't have problems that can easily be fixed with monetary policy. We have supply chain issue problems. We've had them for a number of years, and they're going to persist, I believe, for a number of more years. So short term, I think there's still a lot of kinks in the system. But at the same time, that creates opportunities for the companies that are providing the products and services they can meet the demand, whether interest rates are high or low. Hey, more about that in future episodes. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.